maybe we should chug on over to Mamby Pamby Land where maybe we can find some self-confidence for you, you jackwagon! Coming to you live from his padded cell high atop Bethel Church, the most heralded, the most despised talk show in all of human history. This is the talk show Hell Hates. This is Pastor Mike Online. Coming to you live from our top secret broadcasting bunker here at Area 52, right next to Area 51. This is the talk show that hell hates. The more you listen today, especially, the more you know why. Good to be with you today. Uh, I am running on no sleep since uh, Monday morning. Uh, and I don't know why, but I did not sleep a wink last night. Not, not even, not even a doze off. Not even a, and then wake up. Nothing like that. Uh, so I'm a little fatigued today. Bones a little bit achy, but good to good to be with you today. Uh, before I get started with everything else. Um, I've done this in the past for people, uh, sort of like a, a, a public service thing. You know, I'm going to clean my lens. Hang on. I, see all that glare there? Let me see if this helps. Yeah, I think it helped a little. Anyway, now everybody do this to your eyes, and it will help it. Um I've done this with with people that have followed our ministry before that have businesses like the guy that uh, the coffee guy and and so on. And um, Friday, Sweetie Pie and I, it's, it's Sweetie Pie Day on Friday, so she gets to go wherever she wants. And uh, she told me uh, Thursday that the St. Louis RV show was taking place and um you know we weren't going to buy anything we just like to look at them and see what's on the market and so on we're quite happy with our home on wheels and um uh it it one of the reasons in fact probably the biggest reason for me that i wanted to use an rv in the ministry is to not be an encumbrance on the church, any church that I went to, um, so that they don't either have to find somebody's house for me to stay in or book a hotel. Those hotel rooms now are getting pretty expensive and or book a hotel room if it was especially if it was a small church and they didn't have a big budget. I didn't I did not want them uh, to think that they had to put me up in the best place in the world and all this stuff. So this way we just take this thing around and we've got our bed with us and we've got our shower with us and our potty with us. And, and, um, you know, we have all the comforts of home there and anybody that calls us and, you know, says, Hey, I want you to come out and preach a few days. Can we get you a place to stay? Nope. Got it. Got it. Uh, and my calendar is already filling up this year. I'm glad to, glad to see that. 
And so we'll be taking it out several places. So anyway, we went to the RV show. And um, and I forgot about this, but as soon as we got there, I remembered that there is a company there that we have done business with in the past. And I thought, I wonder if they're here this year. I I would I hope they are because I need their services. And let me explain their services. This is um, Air Med Care. Let me show you that Air Med Care, and um, they are an Airivac Life Team. Uh, usually a helicopter. Now I had a helicopter ride in 2006 when I was electrocuted, um, under working underneath my house, the fire department crawled under there. They drug me out from underneath the house, put me on a, on a, on a backboard and then took the ambulance down um, a short ways down the road to a, um, a a golf course in a gated community that's not too far from our house. And that's where the helicopter landed, picked me up, and, and carried me to uh, what was then St. John's Mercy Hospital. Now it's called Mercy Hospital St. John's. Catholics. But anyway, um, and it was, uh, we, we had good insurance, but I didn't think it was going to pay for this. And I will tell you, I have never been so blessed in my life. Um, when I recovered from that, we didn't know how much it was going to cost. And somebody started spreading the word around that this helicopter had to pick me up and take me uh, up to St. Louis to get checked out. And Lisa and I got a card during the church service one morning, and it was signed by all the people in the church individually who said that they would help contribute to the cost of that helicopter. And I I was crying like a little child over that. I that just that blessed my heart. Well, as it turns out, the insurance company, my health insurance company, uh it was a $10,000 bill. These things are expensive. But if you are in a very serious accident and you are 85 to 100 miles away from the nearest decent hospital that can fix you, not a first aid station hospital somewhere, um, this will save your life. And so anyway, um, our health insurance at that time paid $8,000 of it. And left us with a $2,000 deductible. And I told my wife, I said, let you and I pay that. I'm not going to put this. The church has offered to do it. 
I'm not going to put this on them. Let's pay it ourselves. And we did. Um, so as I was talking to these people, the very first time, this has been about four or five years ago, um, you know, they have a, they have a deal whereby you, you sign up with them for like a one-year plan, a three-year plan, five-year plan, or whatever, and it's really not that much. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know the prices. I don't have the pricing here. Um, but anyway, if you are in an accident and you need a helicopter, emergency helicopter, to take you to a hospital that can treat your needs. Um, that's what this does. You you pay, you know, the, the premium for the year and you're covered. You're covered. Um, it's an outstanding service. The the man that um that we had worked with over the years, um Christian man, and he's not one of these Christians that when he found out I was a Christian, oh, I'm a Christian too. I, I love Jesus, and no, no, he wore it, and he he had these little bracelets that he passed out, had these symbols on them, and he said, "Let me show you what that means." And it was an arrow pointing down. He said, "This is Jesus coming down to the earth," and then it had a cross. He died on the cross. Then it had an arch. It looked like a tomb. He said he spent three days in the tomb, and then an arrow pointing up. He ascended up into heaven and another arrow pointing down. He said, he's coming again. And he just gives those out everywhere he goes. He gives those out. He gave, he gave Lisa and I probably about 35 of them. And uh, we're going to give them out to some of the kids here at the church. Uh, But anyway, one of the things that we found out about this company that was a I mean, it was a great selling point for us is that we will have emergency health care coverage while we are in Kenya through this company. Now, it's a separate premium, separate payment, but we will have emergency health care coverage while we are in Kenya this year. We're going to Kenya for two weeks uh, toward the end of March. And also, if we were somewhere in Kenya and we needed uh, to be airlifted, that's covered. And... God forbid something happen and, you know, I'm in bad, I'm in too bad a shape or my wife is in too bad a shape or somebody to where they can't sit in a regular commercial plane for what amounts to 24 hours and be flown back to the United States. They have emergency, private Air med services that will fly the injured people and their party back to the United States for further treatment. And I went, yeah, that'll put my mind at ease, especially with what, and we've used, 
we've, I mean, we have purchased this before. We are members currently. Um, and so we renewed all of our memberships. Um, we've got Michael and Alicia covered. They're going with us. And uh, so anyway, if anything happens to any of us while we are in Kenya and we need emergency medical services, we need a life flight out of Kenya back to the United States, that's a done deal. It's a done deal. Um, now, most of you probably won't need that, but I, I would in, just encourage you uh, to give these people to call Air Medicare Network um, is the company. Uh, let's see, they have four different branches. Arivac Life Team, that's what flies you from, you know, any place in the country to a hospital. Uh, Guardian Flight, MedTrans, and Reach. And I think one of these, I think it's the the MedTrans that'll fly us out of Kenya and get us back to the United States. Let me give you a name and a phone number. Um, now, I, I don't, I, I would say I don't get anything from this, and technically I'm not. Um, there is some kind of, I didn't even ask him what it, how much it was, uh, a referral program. But here's what I'm going to do. If any of our watchers or our listeners um, call this company and sign up, and if there is any... Um, any money given back to me for you signing up, if you mention my name or whatever, uh, that money is going to go, I guarantee you, I promise you, that money is going to go to feed people in Kenya, all right? So I will not benefit from this. I wouldn't do that to you people. I, I uh, It would be like if I turned into an Amway salesman overnight and then I started using this medium here that God has given us to try to convert all you people into Amway salesmen. I don't have anything against Amway salesmen. It's just not for me. And I wouldn't use this platform to do it anyway. That would be wrong. Uh, but anyway, so if you sign up and you mention that Pastor Mike Hoggard referred you, I think we get a referral fee from that and that money will go to Feed the people in Kenya. The guy's name is John Farrar, F-A-R-R-A-R, F-A-R-R-A-R. The number is, there it is, 636-331-8131. Jot that down. All you have to do is give him a call and say, you know, I was listening to Pastor Mike Hoggard and his blog, and because I told him. I was going to do this. He said, you have a blog? I said, yeah. And I told him I was going to do this. So um, anyway, if you are interested in something like this, uh, or if you travel outside of the United States, maybe in your line of work, uh, maybe you're in the oil business or whatever, and you travel to third world countries or whatever, and you know that they just don't have hospital services the way they do here, um, this, this could be something that you could look into. John Farrar, 636-331-8131. Uh, Care is the name of the company. And, uh, like I say, I've been 
I've been paying premiums to them now for several years. Uh, we have been members. We are continuing to be members. And uh, God forbid I ever have to use their services, but I already know that it's possible. With me, it's, I'm like with God. When it comes to accidents, with me, all things are possible. And um, I've already had one helicopter ride and had to pay part of the bill for that. And um, so this seemed to be, for me, a good investment. All right. Now, uh, what else do I want to do? I wanted to read uh, an email, a couple of emails, I think, that there was a blessing to me if I can. Here we go. Let me find them. Um. This is from a, a lady. I'll, I'll keep her name out of it. Uh, Dear Pastor Mike, thank you so much for informing people about the evils of false teachings. And I'm going to talk some more about that today. I have been praying for you and your son-in-law, Michael, and your family to be safe. Thank you very much. Uh, and to help you with all the stress from evil attacks on you and your Kenya mission family. I want to tell you something that has happened to me that I hope will be helpful and encouraging to others. I was raised in a small Catholic church in Walnut Creek, California. The nuns taught me in the catechism that Jesus is God. He died for our sins on the cross. We must be sorry for our sins and ask God to help us to not sin. And I believed it and I accepted it. I remember vividly my little catechism booklet that had the questions in them that we had to answer verbally to the nuns. And they would stamp a little star next to the answer when we got it right. I was seven years old. Sorry to say, I did sin again and have been struggling ever since. Now, let me, let me pause here in her email for a minute and, and share this with you. The Catholic Church teaches that in order to ple- to really please God, you have to stop sinning. No one ever has done that. Except, well, I can't even say that Jesus did it because he never stopped sinning. He never started sinning. Nobody for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. Present tense. I uh, preached a Sunday morning message a few Sundays ago. I want you to go listen to it. You need it. And it's about making promises that you can't keep. Because I found out in the scriptures that God holds you accountable for those. The ones that, you know, guys who are in the military and they're being bombarded and they say, God, you get me out of this. I'll become a Catholic priest. You know, like that's some big holy thing. And God gets them out of it or whatever. And well, I not really going to become a Catholic priest. I mean, I'll start going to church, but they don't do that either. 
people make promises to God. God, I, I will stop. I will stop doing this. I will not do this ever again. So, you know, in the the three days that I spent fasting and praying when God was going to start this ministry, I almost did. I almost said, because I was I was distraught. I mean, I was like, I'll get out of the ministry if something doesn't change. And I almost was going to promise God that I would just, I would never do anything wrong again. And I think the Holy Ghost stopped me and said, uh, Mike, don't do that. You're fixing to open your mouth and make promises you can't keep. But that is a, that is a doctrine. Or I won't call it, I want to know if I'll call it a doctrine. I think it is a, an abuse methodology that the Catholic Church uses to hold power over people by demanding them that they must become sin-free. And then when they don't do that, then the priest or the nuns or whoever it is starts really clamping down on them as far as warning them that they're going to spend time in purgatory and it's going to be bad on them and they need a lot of masses prayed on their behalf and you know that costs money and uh by the way i uh, speaking of money i uh, recorded uh the next part of the Watchman broadcast series on Vatican secrets. This is dealing with St. Peter's Basilica. You Wait till you find out how it was built. Wait till you find out. I, I It made me angry when I found out. It did. It infuriated me. There's some things that really anger me in a in to to my core in my spirit they anger me and that is any kind of false gospel because it always binds people in burdens always does um so anyway this this lady here she was it was pounded into her by a nun that she needs stop sinning she said, okay, but she didn't. Do you know why? Because she still has a flesh body that hates God. It hates God's law. God hates it in return and wants nothing to do with it. And he's going to leave your flesh here to rot, corrupt, and then burn up while he saves your soul. So um, I was seven years old. Sorry to say I did sin again and have been struggling ever since. But I've always been glad to belong to God and I love his righteousness and his mercy. And from the time I was seven, I have never wanted to not belong to God and wouldn't want to even exist without belonging to him. That sounds That sounds a lot like me and it's not that's not a boast that's not 
I've always wanted to serve God. And so I've never, I can't explain it, but you're, you're a child and you just know there's, there's a God there and you fear him, you reverence him and you want to live for God. I can't brag about that because I didn't put that in me. Apparently God did. I'll tell you a silly childish story. The house that we used to live in for a short time when we moved up from Arkansas uh, to this area, it was a uh, duplex house. It had two, two different houses in the same building. And um, a lady lived in the f- in the front house, and she and she had the front of the house and and about three fourths of the first floor. We had the back part of the house, one fourth of the back of the house, and then all of the upstairs. And so my bedroom was directly over where her living room was. And she, I don't know who the guy was. I'm, I'm, and I'm like three and four years old, all right? Four to five years old, somewhere around in there. And I can remember hearing a man's voice down below me as I'm laying in bed I can hear this man's voice very deep booming voice and to me it sounded like God and I was like that is so awesome that God lives in the same house as I do I mean, I did. I thought that was awesome. Anyway, let me keep reading. But I've always, I've always believed in God. There is, I don't think there's ever been a time when I didn't believe in God. Um, I never not, never, I never wanted to not belong to God and wouldn't want to even exist without belonging to him. My parents, from what I can tell, thought about the same as me. We didn't depend on going to all the high masses and keeping all the rules, laws, and regulations of the church to be saved, even though at that time we were told not to read the Bible. Yes, they do. They tell you not to read the Bible, or they tell you you can read it. Just don't believe much in it And don't you dare try to interpret it. And don't you dare compare what it says in the Bible with what we tell you God really said. Don't you dare do that. We'll excommunicate you. Um, Even though at the time we were told not to read the Bible, but to let the priest interpret everything for us. A good way for complete control of people, isn't it? When, When I would worry... I was a worrier who tried to figure everything out in the universe. My mother would tell me to just have faith in God. So I did. But I was struggling. 
I asked a traveling priest who was in the confessional one day when I went there, why do we believe what we believe? Why do we do the things we do in our church? I think I was trying to ask him, what is our yardstick for truth? And I, I understand that. What, 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 what frame of reference do we use? What meter do we use? Are we, are we using the metric system? Are we using the, you know, the foot and inches? Uh, where's the standard, in other words? Where's the weights and measures that we use to understand God and do what he calls us to do? Um, he got mad at me and said, ask your own priest about this. And didn't want to even talk to me about it. Did I maybe hit a raw nerve? Was he wondering the same thing? Might He might have been. I think it's more along the lines of he was sitting in the uh, confessional waiting for maybe somebody a little bit older than you to come along. You get what I'm saying? Or maybe you were the wrong gender for his tastes. So I had to pray and depend totally on God to help me. He did. When I was 18 years old, I started attending Diablo Valley College in Pleasant Hill, California. That's funny. Diablo means devil. El Diablo is the devil. Great choice of colleges there, sister. One day I noticed some students out on the lawn by the cafeteria. They were reading Bibles. I was talking to one girl in particular and told her things that I wondered about. She said, oh, that's right in here. And flipped the pages to a certain spot and reread the Bible verses. My whole life changed in that instant. Imagine that. I believe I had already been saved, but I hadn't grown in knowledge or my faith like I could have already been. There's nothing so great to me than to have the real nitty-gritty from God. It energizes you and gives you peace at the same time. I met my husband at that church that a lot of those kids were going to, the Evangelical Free Church of Walnut Creek. I've heard of them, E-Free he was raised in Baptist churches and was a wonderful husband and dear friend to me for 43 years until he went to be with God in 2015. I'm very sorry to hear that. He was a real stickler for following God in his everyday life for the King James Bible and for treating people good. We were married in the EV Free Evangelical Free Church. We had many spiritual attacks on us from the outside world, but God helped us through everything. So what is my big point in all this? I believe that God is so merciful that he saved me even in the midst of all the added man-made laws and some of them downright lies of a church that was mixed with the gospel of Jesus and erroneous info. Well, you're not wrong, technically. The Bible says that your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. So... You just simply caught up to where God already was in your life, if that makes sense. 
God already knew you were going to get saved. God already knew you were going to leave the Catholic Church. He already knew you were going to get turned on to the Bible. God already knew all of these things, and he saved you from before, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He saved you before that time. How, did, how could he do that? Because he knew all those things that you just told me. He knew you were going to do them. I'm reading them in a letter that you wrote to me that describes your life in past tense. God saw this in the future tense as plainly or more plainly than what you've described for me in the past tense. That's how smart God is. Um. The strange thing is, I didn't see the man-made laws as the gospel. I saw the true gospel. God saved me from the garbage and kept a hold of me. I hope that that is happening with a lot of other Catholics, and I hope that they listen to your information about what the Catholic Church is teaching. They won't grow if they don't read the Bible, and it's a fearful thing if they depend on obeying church laws and doing good to be saved. I want to do good because Jesus saved me, not to be saved. You get it. She gets it. And I've said this hundred times. I am not giving money in the offering plate. I'm not serving God so that I can get something. I've already got it. And so I'm just serving God out of a free heart. I'm doing it not because I have a debt to pay. I'm doing it because I want to do it. I want to serve God. I want to please him. I want to bring honor and glory to him and to his word. Um, strange facts. After I had been married a few years, I found one of my old missiles. Now, that's not an ICBM or a rocket. It's a mass book. It has um, various Catholic churches have different ones. There's a St. Joseph mass book. And basically, the, the congregant will have a, a direction that the service is going to go in. In other words, when the, when the priest uh, does this certain thing, then the church is going to respond by reciting these particular words. And that's what a missile is. Um, when Lyndon Johnson took the oath of office to be president of the United States on Air Force One uh, by a local judge from Dallas, Texas, nobody had a Bible. Lyndon went into Kennedy's room there on Air Force One and found Kennedy's missile book, his mass book. And that picture of Johnson with his hand on what looks like a Bible and his right hand, his right hand to God, taking the oath of office, he's not swearing on a Bible. He's swearing on a Catholic mass book. Well point of information there. Um so she said she found one of the old missiles with the mass in it. Sure enough, it had a picture of Mary in it. One of those old stylized paintings from centuries ago with words under it. This icon of Virgin Mary 
who we adore and worship. So don't let any Catholic tell you, oh, we don't worship Mary. We venerate her. No, everything that the Catholic Church publishes and officially teaches about Mary is they worship her. In fact, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. John Paul II wanted it bad. That he wanted that to be his legacy. John Paul II believed with all of his heart that it was the Virgin Mary that saved him from being killed by that assassin's bullet. And what he wanted to do was add a doctrine to canon law that officially made Mary a co-redeemer with Christ. And by that, basically saying that no man can come to God the Father except through Mary and Christ. And that nobody can have their sins forgiven and nobody can be saved except through Mary and Jesus Christ. John Paul wanted that. He never got it. I'm surprised it hasn't been done yet. Um, I also saw in it a news photo of people in Mexico lined up for some kind of church blessing with statues of saints in their arms. I could hardly believe that, too. When I was a kid, we thought that we could ask Mary to pray for us. But I quickly threw that out after reading the Bible myself. I don't think we lose our salvation if we don't know perfect theology, because then nobody would be saved. We need to have the nitty gritty about who Jesus is and what he did for us. Then seem to have to hash out the misguided and erroneous stuff, no matter what church we go to. Folks, that's been my life. I've spent the last, well, since 1997, throwing out things that I said that I believed and letting God put them back in if they're supposed to be there or keeping me from them if they're not supposed to be there. And I don't see anything wrong with that. Too many people, especially us preachers, us preachers are pretty bad about it. We've got egos that are big and huge, and our egos usually match the size of our mouth. And we don't like to let people think that we're wrong about anything or that we've had to change our mind because somebody read a verse and it corrected us. I've had that happen several times. Uh, i got to move on here. Um, now the E-free churches, who used to be wonderful churches, are ordaining women as pastors. That's Babylon for you. I can hardly believe that. I believe there are real Christians biting into that. Uh, I'm just hanging on to Jesus, robing my heart into my King James Bible. I've seen charts of verses from the King James compared to other Bibles like the NIV and other versions um, that show that the other versions have left out words and added stupid words in the place of God's words. I agree with you. I hope this long e email wasn't too much of a bother for you to read. It's just a subject that is so important to me. I want people to be saved and saved from erroneous ideas, no matter what church they go to. Uh, 
I am so tired of watching people receive a chocolate cake from Jesus, the true gospel, and then throwing a pile of dog dew on it. In other words, false teaching. Why do they do that? I don't know. So we'll just we'll uh, we'll just kind of move on here. Um, let's do this. Let's go to scriptures. I will be so kind and gracious to you as to put them on the screen for you. And uh, I'm going to pull up my notes here. I've been making notes in, in between taking little naps this morning. And um, I, I have this, I have this, this gut feeling that the false teachers of the last the le- very last days are going to be more than human i do i i i i am i may be wrong and and i will i will follow the scriptures where they lead but we'll call this uh, today, uh, Pastor Mike, thinking out loud. And that's all it is. I'm not establishing doctrine. I'm not saying this is thus saith the Lord. But some things have, have really got me interested, especially I started working on this presentation that I did in Pea Ridge, Arkansas. God bless you, Pea Ridge. I love, I love those people down there in northwest Arkansas. They, are, they have been some of my best friends friends in the world now i've got other friends other pastor friends in different places uh but my second home is northwest arkansas it really is and uh brother jamie doyle brother ellis doyle his father and all of the doyle family they have just been good friends to lisa and i um but anyway i started putting all this together and was going to talk about, and I did talk about familiar spirits and how they work, and 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 can people see them? And the answer is yes. When they want to be seen, they can be seen. Um, I I do believe that the the videos, if you look at certain videos on YouTube or on Facebook or whatever, and see some kind of shadow person peeking around a door jam or a window or something like that. And when you look at it, it notices you and it slides back and you go in there and there's nothing there. I, I think that's, I do. I think that's for the, for the most part real. I think cameras, cameras, uh, video cameras, picture cameras, the digital ones, they're, uh, they're CMOS chips the chips that gather in light and convert it to digital data uh, can actually see more and different wavelengths of light that you and I can see. We can't see infrared, but there are lin- there are 
CMOS chips that can see infrared, and, and you can actually filter infrared out and see everything but infrared, or you can see nothing but infrared, and it's just amazing. So I think that the explanation for why it seems like spirits or ghosts or whatever um, are caught on camera um, I think that's probably the reason why. Um, either that or we're just entering into a time when they are going to be seen more. Um, let me go to the book of Job. And I, I don't quite know where I'm going. So let me let me type this word in. Uh, Job's, one of Job's friends saw a spirit and, um, I mean, it, it, it scared him. It really did. Um, and this spirit spoke to him in the book of Job and he recounted this. Let me get to it here. Here we go. Job chapter four. He starts it in verse 12. Now a thing was secretly brought to me. And mine ear received a little thereof. So I want you to understand this now. Uh, Job's friend who was, who is this? Eliphaz the Temanite is telling this. Eliphaz the Temanite now has a belief. And where did this belief come from? It didn't come from Job's other two friends, and it didn't come from Job. It came from a spirit. A spirit taught Eliphaz this idea directly. And this is the point that I'm making, is that I believe that as the world grows darker, Sin becomes more and more rampant. Evil in this world takes over everything that spirits, we're going to, I think people are going to see spirits more and more and more, and they're going to be taught by them. Let, let's read this. A thing was secretly brought to me. And mine ear received a little thereof in thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep falleth on men. Fear came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones to shake. If you've watched any anybody who's gone, whether they intentionally went to go find ghosts in some haunted house or they're just... Uh, some of these YouTube creators who, who find these old buildings and this, you know, like an old insane asylum and decide that the best time to go and shoot video of this place is in the dead of night for some reason. And they all run out screaming ah! like little girls. Okay. Um, in thoughts from the visions of the of the night when deep sleep falleth on men, 
fear came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones to shake. And they all like are like they're like, oh, I'm freaking out, man. Like you have people doing that on these videos and it's real. Verse 15, then a spirit passed before my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. Doodads. Hackles. Hair on his neck stood up. He got to shakes like that. That's a, a sudden hit of adrenaline. And your body's reacting to that. It, it gets that adrenaline hit and it reacts to it. Because... It is triggering something that God has given us called fight or flight. We're either going to have to fight whatever this is, or we're going to have to run like chickens to get out of there fast enough. And that's how the body responds to sudden fear like that, is that we get this jolt of adrenaline which goes to all of our muscles and powers our muscles up. And like I say, we either going to duke it out with them or we're going to run. Most people decide to run. And that's what that is. Uh, The flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof. An image was before mine eyes. There was now for those of you who have this idea that spirits all look like Casper the Friendly Ghost. Or that spirits, because they are spirits, are shapeless, formless clouds of mist and gas. But they're not always that way. The angels that came and visited uh, Abram, they look like men. They went and visited Lot. They looked so much like men. And apparently they were fairly handsome men. Because the men of Sodom was knocking on Lot's door. Where's them boys at? Okay. Sick. So anyway, spirits can be tangible this means touchable because lot or abram's servants washed these angels feet washed the lord's feet fed them food then they go to lot's house and the same thing they get in they get their feet washed they get another meal these angels are getting fat and um they are tangible touchable They have forms. Some of them look like animals. Some of them look like humans. Some of them look like human animals or animal humans. It just depends on how God made them. Think of of all these bizarre-looking fish in the bottom of the ocean. You know, we send these these, uh, remote-powered submarines down to the farthest parts of the ocean where man really can't go because the pressure's too great and there's no light down there ever. And we find all these odd, weird-looking creatures down there. Well, just 
that's God being creative. And I I think for every every species of really weird looking animal or fish, there's probably billions of different species or appearances of both good angels and bad angels. So Eliphaz can, he sees a spirit. It has a form. He can't discern it. But the image was there before his eyes. He knew something was standing there. There was silence. And I heard a voice saying, Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Behold, he put no trust in his servants, and his angels he charged with folly. How much less in them that dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. They are destroyed from morning to evening. They perish forever without any regarding it. Doth not their excellency which is in them go away? They die even without wisdom. Now, I never heard anybody you know, talk like that, but... If I was a spirit and I was going to say that, that's how I would do it. I would freak this guy out, okay? A big echo chamber, you know. Um, but here, here is an example now of Eliphaz the Temanite. Here is an example of a person in the Bible. In fact, he's not the first one, but I'd say he's the second one. Because Job was the first book written that we know of. Job lived about the same time as Abraham did. Um, but if we, if we go back to like Genesis 3, then we have another instance where we have Eve and Adam in the garden, but primarily Eve. And who is instructing Eve? Who's teaching her? Who is feeding her doctrines that are going to rule over her life for as long as she lives? Satan does that. The serpent. And he is a spirit. So, Literally, the first two people in the Bible that receive indoctrination get it from spirits, directly from the mouths of spirits. So I think, I think there's the Bible is establishing. An idea here. You know, we know that 
all down through the centuries. Various uh, people, Buddha, Mohammed, Joe Smith, various people have been, um, if you believe their stories, then they have been teachers of enlightenment to man, but they themselves received the enlightenment from spirits. So they became these great teachers and the Buddha taught his disciples and Joe Smith taught all these Mormons. Hey, you get to, hey guys, hey, listen up. You're going to like this. God told me that we get to have all the wives we want to. And if, if they happen to be 12 years old, so be it. So you had a bunch of perverted old men that were marrying five and six and seven and eight 12 to 13 year old girls because they were perverts. Joseph Smith received this idea, this doctrine from seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. He then in turn taught it to his people and his people believed what he said. Why? Because they, they lost it that way. I mean, that just, yes, Brother Joseph. Oh, yes, Brother Joseph. I believe that the angel of God has told you that. Well, of course you do, you old dirty old man. Now, uh, let's see here. Another example. Uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's do this one. Um. Let's go to this story here. Let's let's read about Endora. Um, I've used this several times, but there's just so much here. If you pay attention to the language of the King James Bible, you're you're going to learn something. I promise you, you're going to learn something. Switch over to these new Bibles. You're gonna get nothing. You're going to get a fortune cookie with a lot of air and no fortune in it. That's what you're going to get. Um, so Saul goes and he specifically asks for a woman that hath a familiar spirit. He didn't ask for a woman that could bring Samuel up. He asked for a woman that could bring up a familiar spirit. So the woman does. And this spirit spoke directly to Saul and had him placing himself in that battle the next day because that's where God wanted him. Um, And there is an interesting aspect to this story that I never thought of before until the other day and I went that's pretty cool Uh, we pick it up in verse 11 then said the woman whom shall I bring up unto thee and he said bring me up Samuel and when the woman saw Samuel it really wasn't Samuel she cried with a loud voice And the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. 
The king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. Apparently there was more than one of them coming up out of the earth. When Boy, this woman had power now. She had power. When she got ready to call up a spirit, she called up a bushel basket full of them. And so she sees the gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, what form is he of? And she said, an old man cometh up and is covered with a mantle. Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped his face to the ground and bowed himself. Now, it wasn't really Samuel then, was it? Because Samuel would have never allowed Saul to bow down before him. Now in verse 15, and Samuel said to Saul, the fake Samuel, the God ascending out of the earth, said to Saul, why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God is departed from me, and answereth me no more, neither by prophets. There you go. It's not Samuel. God wouldn't allow Samuel to bust through the earth and show up to talk to Saul after his death. God wouldn't do it for all the tea in China and Mars put together. Um, verse, uh, let's see here. And God is departed from me and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called thee that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee and has become thine enemy? What are you asking me for? I was right in the middle of a poker game. Why did you? Why did you come and get me? I here I am. I'm, I I had was working on a flush here, and you came and got me. I was thinking, boy, this better be good. And all this is is about you being afraid to go meet the Philistines tomorrow. Um, the Lord, look, wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee and has become thine enemy? And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand and given it to thy neighbor, even to David. See, how did this spirit know that that happened? This spirit was there when God said it and when it happened. He was there. That's what makes him familiar. He knows what happened. Why? Because he was there. He may not have been a participant, but he was there. Uh, verse 18, because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. Now, some people who still insist, well, this was Samuel. It was. I mean, he, he even gave the prophecy and it came out true. 
did it? Did it really come out the way this familiar spirit said it was going to? Did it really happen that way? I mean, I know that Saul went down into the heart of the earth the next day. And I know that most of Saul's sons were slain as well. But not all of them. Not all of them. Some of them survived. One of them by the name of Mephibosheth survived. An offspring of Saul still alive. You see, what's what's the what's the rule about a prophet? All he has to do is be wrong once. And he's not a prophet of God. And all of Saul's line was not cut off that next day. Mephibosheth actually lived long enough to be given a place at King David's table to eat at his table and drink every single day, even though he was still lame on his feet. Mm-mm-mm. You say, well, that's a technicality. Well, God deals with them all the time. Uh, then Saul um, fell straight away all along on the earth, and he was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel, and there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no bread all the day nor all the night. Well, Saul has a problem with the eating things, doesn't he? doesn't want his armies eating anything or the people eating anything and they get famished and they can't fight anymore and he's mad at them because they're not fighting. He's gone for days now not eating. He's offered food and he's not going to eat it. Man, oh man. So right there we have, we have a spirit that is teaching and prophesying to King Saul to get him to this certain place the next day where he could be killed. That's that's what I see happening here. And to me, it's it's just not a mystery anymore. Not at all. How about... Ooh... This is a good one. Micaiah. Micaiah was a good guy. His name uh, transliterated into English is pronounced Micaiah, but in the original Hebrew, it's Mike Hoggard. Ha! I thought that was funny. Not really. Um, Jehoshaphat is being asked by Ahab to go to war. And Jehoshaphat's like, man, I don't know. 
Oh, come on. We'll, we'll, together, we'll beat them. We'll beat them. There's no big deal tomorrow. Just join with me tomorrow. Jehoshaphat is like, um, well, what does God say about it? Oh, I got that covered. I got 400 preachers. They're all in the ministerial alliance, the, the minister's fellowship in town. We've got the United Methodists and the Roman Catholic and the Assembly of God and the ba- and the Southern Baptists. And uh, we've got some Jehovah's Witness. We've got a Mormon uh, guy in there. We, boy, we've got them all in there. And I guarantee you they're all going to say the same thing. So they all come in and said, oh, boy, you're going to win this one. This is going to be one of the greatest battles in history. Ahab's name is going to go down in history as being the greatest king warrior that has ever lived. And one guy made him a pair of iron horns. And he said, see these horns? I just see. Can you just can you picture some idiot preacher pulling a stunt where he straps on iron horns like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and walks around with these iron horns sticking on his head. But this one guy goes, see these iron horns? This is how you're going to push back the enemy, King Ahab. Oh, it's going to be glorious. Blood everywhere. Jehoshaphat said unto the king, "Uh, don't you have anybody else? And Ahab said, well, I got this Micaiah guy, but I don't like him. Why not? What's wrong with him? Well, he never tells me what I want to hear. Now, let me, now, isn't that the majority of church members in the 21st century, especially in America, is that not the majority of them? He doesn't tell me what I want to hear. He's too hard on sin. He just keeps going up, preaching all the time against sin all the time. I tell you, I get tired of hearing it that if that's all he's got he ain't got much i i'll i'll tell you the i'll tell you the man ron Dagonia. a church in this county asked ron to come up and preach for him one one sunday night to fill in so Ron did. And something came up, I guess, either with the text that he was using or just he was led to go this direction. But he started speaking out against sodomites. And man, I tell you what. The refrigerator came on then. It got cold in that church very quickly and after the message he had people in that church see what had happened was 
there were families in that church who were related to a man who was a music minister at another Baptist church. And his wife divorced him because she found out he was a sodomite. And uh, Ron didn't know. Either that or he just didn't think about it, but he just starts, he's preaching the Bible. He's reading Bible verses. And he has, especially women, coming up to him. How dare you? How dare you? Who do you think you are? You think you're better than everybody else? You think you're the judge of everything? You know, that kind of slop. You think you're better than everybody else? I mean, you knew that you knew that my son was gay, and you had to just go and and preach him right into hell. You have you have no mercy whatsoever. He's automatically going to hell, and I mean, they raked him over the coals in that church. And he told him, he said, "I would rather preach the truth here and only get a chance to do it one time." than to lie to you people, but get invited back to do it every Sunday. And this is the condition that many, many churches, and they don't have to run 5,000 people in, in, in their church service. They don't have to run 1,000 people. They don't have to have 500 members. They can run 100 members, 75 members, and still tie the preacher's hands when it comes to preaching certain sins. But anyway, so you know the story. Micaiah is called, and Micaiah says... Um, Let's see here. That's the Zedekiah with the horns of iron. Verse 12, and and all the prophets prophesied, saying, uh, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. And the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake unto him, saying, Behold, now the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of them. Uh, of one of them speak that which is good. And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth. What the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. And um, so he says in verse 17, I, And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me, but evil? And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this, manner and another said on that manner and there came forth the spirit and stood before the lord and said i will persuade him and the lord said unto him 
wherewith, and he said, I will go forth, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. I mean, this this spirit was 100% sure that they could pull it off. So I want you to think about this now. You have one spirit, and this these spirits now are very powerful. Very powerful. This one spirit had the ability to convince every single one of them to say these words that they all said, to to give forth the prophecy that they gave, None of none of them were dissenters. None of them said, "Whoa, what in the world was I thinking?" I I could tell there was a spirit in me wanting me to say these things. King, King Ahab, King Jehoshaphat, don't do it! Don't do it! I there's a spirit on these guys. Nobody did that. Those men were complete sellouts. They did exactly what the Spirit told them to do. What a shame. Because it cost Ahab his life the very next day. Cost him his life. And again, this is just one well, let's let's look at let's look at another verse. This is just one spirit, right? How many does it take? Well, it doesn't take uh doesn't doesn't take very many. Second Corinthians eleven. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, you might well bear with him. Folks, let me ask you a question. Do you really believe that the Holy Ghost falls upon men and causes them to speak in a language that only them and an angel will understand? You think that's true, how that happens? Because a lot of people say with tongues that it's a private uh, pr- prayer language of some kind, and that, and that 
it's it's the language that angels speak. Number one, anytime I see angels talking in the Bible, they're all understood. That's the first thing. Um, there is, however, a very, very evil group, I believe, of non-human spirits, a whole nation of them, a whole army of them, who speak a tongue that no one knows. And all it would take would be for that spirit to overcome someone who really didn't want to know the truth to begin with, who would rather believe their lies. And God turned them over to a reprobate mind. And all of a sudden now they're speaking in a language not only do they not know what they're saying, they will never know what they're saying. Ever. And I, I look back in my life and I, I'm telling you, God could have turned, that, turned me over to that. I'm glad he didn't. But he could. Um... Got a situation again where, man, I, I am exhausted. Again, I've had no sleep. And uh, I feel weak. My blood sugar. I'm dropping all my carbohydrates. Yes. Going low carb. I've done that before. Uh, I still have a small stomach, believe it or not. Uh, but apparently me and carbs don't get along. And no matter how little of them I eat, they go stay put marshmallows. So I'm going to try to drop some pounds here in the next few months. Pray for me about that. I want to keep my health going. And um, so I'm just a little bit. But good to be with you today. I'm still not done with this. There's a lot more there. People being taught directly by evil spirits in the last days. I think it's going to happen. Okay? I think it's going to happen. God bless you. Think Bible.